Hello and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. It's season eight and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we are all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now return trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels, and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now today's guest hails from Bolton in Lancashire. And did you know, Harry Benjamin, that Bolton is the town that gave us Reebok, which was founded in Holkenbrook, a small village just six miles northeast of Bolton in 1890. Joseph William Foster was making running shoes when he thought hammering some nails through the sole for extra grip would be a good idea. And the spiked running shoe was born. But Bolton also is a hotbed for broadcasters. It's brought us not only our guest today, but the likes of Sarah Cox, Johnny Ball, Mark Ratcliffe, Victoria Derbyshire, just a few of the illustrious names from Britain's largest town, which is a population of 260,000 people and, yes, is still a town. But, Harry, let's test your Bolton knowledge. Which well-known... British Bakery, and I'm going to give you four options here, so you've got a chance of getting it. Which well-known British Bakery was founded, or Bakery Company, Bread Company, but just think Bread, was founded in Bolton in 1876? Was it A, Kingsmill, B, Warburton's, C, Hovis, or D, Allison's? I'd never heard of Allison's. Um, I mean... The first one that came to mind before you'd even said it was Hovis. I think that's probably because it's the most regular one. I'm going to change my mind. I don't think it is Hovis. Uh, (laughs) What on earth gave you that idea? What were the first two ones? Kingsmill, Kingsmill, Warburton's, Hovis or Allison's? Kingsmill, Warburton's. I'm going to have to press you for an answer. uh, All right. uh, Kingsmill. Wrong. Oh, the what correct answer was actually Warburton's, which is now, oh. incidentally, the largest family-owned bakery in the country with about 4,500 4, employees across 12 bakeries and 14 depots in the UK. So there you go. Here's your little bit Absolutely of fascinating. Absolutely top-notch stuff, as usual. I know. Thank you very much. Right, shall I introduce <laughs> today's guest? I think we'd be better, yeah. <laughs> so today we are joined by British TV royalty, a man who's worked as a presenter, model, and now host of Formula E's coverage, um, on the TV. Before that, we saw him on our screens and booming through our radios on the likes of T4, All Star, Family Fortunes, which is a favourite of mine, BBC Radio 1, Radio X, CBBS, The American Football Show on Channel 4, The One Show, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and many, many more. We're here to dive into his life, opinions, plans, and more. Vernon Kay, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. <laughs> now, are you a Kingsmill, a Warburton, a Hovis, or Allison's kind of man? There's only one maker of bread that really makes a difference in the world. Never mind 
the UK. It's all about Warburton's. <laughs> Synonymous with Bolton. I'm yes. surprised you didn't get that, Harry. Uh, absolute mockery. Uh, yeah, Warburton's, it's kind of, you just brought up on Warburton's bread up yeah. north. I mean, Warburton's, let's be honest, everyone else just pales into insignificance when you put two slices of Warburton's toasty bread in the orange from the orange packet yeah. into your toaster yeah. and it just tastes divine and they've done so much for the local community in Bolton former owners of Bolton Wanderers uh, you know massive part to play in the football club which is the, the, the cornerstone of the community but not only that uh, yeah just iconic I guess yeah. along with Peter yeah, wow. I mean, I I, I can only apologise for not knowing any <laughs> outrageous, outrageous. I'm so sorry. Outrageous. Oh, what a poor start. To the we show. also we also invented the spinning mule, oh. which turns cotton into thread. So that was invented by Samuel Crompton in Bolton. The torpedo originated from Bolton as well. Uh, very, the, uh, the very torpedo, cute. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. That's what we were told at school, anyway. And here's one for you. Uh, yeah. Seeing as we're on a, a motoring podcast, Bolton <laughs> is twin with Le Mans. Wow. No. That's yeah, really? Amazing. That's yeah, amazing. the room off that one. This I is amazing. I had no idea. I, I had no idea, but I started looking into Bolton a little bit, before, obviously, before we spoke to you, and it's done a <laughs> lot of stuff. It's actually quite an amazing place. It kind of makes me feel like I need to go there and have a look around. It's massive. It, it, it's huge. It's got more districts than Manchester, and people say that if it had a cathedral, it would be a city. Yeah. But apparently, having a cathedral doesn't really... Uh, quantify you or it doesn't really set you up to be a city so I don't know what constitutes a city but no. it is it is as big as Manchester when it comes to districts it's all to do with bloody how many churches or whatever spires you have oh is that what town. it is I think it's something to do with that it's some sort of church or cathedral or some of one of those buildings however many you have that dis- that distinguishes you between whether you're a town or a city or something oh like okay that. I don't know. It's a bit complicated. So where are you? Where do you call home these days? Are you still around there in Bolton or have you moved out? No, my mum and dad lived there. I, I, I'm, I live in Buckinghamshire now. I've not been... It, it pains me to say it, but I moved to London in 96, uh, November, December 96, and I haven't been back since. So as soon as I came down, that was it. I, I, I moved down to London after being scouted at the Close Show Live. Oh, yeah. I came down with a duffel bag on a Friday and never went back. Well, well, that works in perfectly, actually, because usually we start these shows. Because we more often than not have drivers on the show, current, young, past. Um, so we usually go back to their karting days and how they all started. Obviously, we're not going to do that with you, uh, but we are going to go back to the time when you did start modelling. And that was sort of how you first got sort of spotted, as you say. That's where you tended to cut your teeth, I suppose. And was that what set off the, the run of events, really, that set you down the path in, into TV and broadcasting? How did those sort of first few stages develop? Yeah, it, I was one of those kids that... Like, my dad's a lorry driver. Uh, well, he's retired now, but he'll always be a lorry driver. <laughs> uh, so I could have... I He always said, you can always come and drive for me, because he was a, an owner driver, you know, expanded to several trucks. And then when he realised that no one cares for your truck more than the owner. Uh, he got a bit annoyed by the fact that the trucks were coming back dented and scratched and smelling a smoke inside. And he's like, I'm not having any of this. It's just too much like I work. So he went back on his own again. Um, and he always said you could come and drive for me. So uh, I never really knew what I wanted to do through sixth form. Um, then into car. I did environmental science in college only because it was the only course I could get on. You know, because I didn't want—I didn't start puberty till late, till eighteen. So I thought, if I'm going to go into the workplace as a as a as a, as a pubeless eighteen-year-old, <laughs> I'm just going to get battered. I'm going to get absolutely ruined by my work colleagues. Yeah. You know, uh, you're a late bloomer. I was a very late bloomer. 
So um, I was like, well, what do I do? I'll just carry on my studies. And I was living for the weekend, basically. I discovered house music. I was big into going the Hacienda. And then obviously, you know, uh, that, that usual stepping stone in life where everything gets put to one side because you've discovered alcohol and you're drinking in a public uh, a, a drinkery, you know, in a public house. Yeah. And there's girls there. <laughs> and that kind of, you know your world starts spinning and your hormones are going bonkers. So I was like, you know, what? I could always go and drive for my dad. Uh, I was living for the weekend. I, I had an array of really, really bad jobs, but they sound really crappy. And it's no disrespect to anyone that's doing these jobs at the moment, but these are the jobs that set me up for life. Mm. You know, I was a, a mobile caretaker. I, I was a caretaker in a school. I used to clean phone boxes. I worked in a DIY shop. I worked in Tesco's. I used to stick stickers on bananas. Uh, I was running like three or four jobs at once all because I just wanted cash because mm. cash unlocked every door to everything. You know, if if you work hard, you can play hard. Uh, and, I, and I did graft doing all kinds of manual labour jobs and I enjoyed it. And those jobs have given me loads of anecdotes to talk about uh, as I got into telly. But what happened was, just going back a few years, going back to 96, my best mate, Luke, phoned me up and he went, we're going to close show on Friday, get a day off work. I'm like, oh, I can't pull a sickie. Because I, I always had pulled a sickie on a Monday, recovering from the weekend. So I can't pull a sickie. I've just done one on Monday. He's like, no, 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 no. Just say it's running over, and then we'll go in the close show, close show live. I'm like, what do you want to go there for? He went, trust me, we're going. My sister's been, she said it's brilliant. So we went to the close show live. We had a few drinks, uh, walked around a little bit. A friend of ours at the time was living in Birmingham, so we went and saw him. And then this guy, James Noel, from Select Model Management, came up to me and said, uh, you've got this look that we're looking for do you fancy trying modeling and everyone i was with three of my mates and they all just burst out laughing you know <laughs> elbow in the side oh, go on, go try that. Uh, and i did and then the rest of it is history so it's it's all that it, that's the <laughs> most that's the most important moment of my life you know family aside and kids and stuff but that that 10 minutes in the nec is what really set me up for everything else that was to come because at that point like i said i didn't know what i wanted to do I did modelling for two years, didn't make a penny, ended up owing the modelling agency a fortune. And uh, it was only when I got to the agency that they were making a documentary about the agency. Uh, so they put us... I was living in a one-bedroom flat in Peckham Rye with two other lads. So we, me and a guy called Phil were topping and tailing, like strangers, like, all right, mate, who's going that end? Well, I'll have that end. It was so bizarre. And then the other guy at the bedroom, Greg. And uh, they were following us around because I guess the fashion industry is deemed as being glamorous and, and very large dar and, you know, you've got to be privileged to be involved with it. But it, that's absolute bullshit. Like, when you're working as a model, it's really hard to, to survive because work is few and far between. Uh, so I really struggled, but I enjoyed it, you know, because you're going to the parties and you're drinking champagne. I never drank champagne before. I was in Milan, I was in Paris, all over the place. Uh, and then this documentary crew did this documentary that went on ITV. And then subsequently someone phoned up and said, do you fancy doing some Vox Pops for our music show? And then the rest is history. Wow, that's amazing. Because when, when I did the Vox Pops, I was like, this is what was meant to happen. This is, yeah. this is what I've been waiting for. I've, I've ignored my career up until 22. Uh, and then when I got into telly, that's when I realised, right, no, everything I've learned about working hard, that's where I put that into fruition. Do you and think, I just grafted for about eight years. Do you think the 
the telly thing, although it sort of came around by a, a, a sequence of events, um, was something that you just naturally were good at. I mean, we spoke to Jake Humphrey uh, not too long ago, and he said when he started doing like live sport and live telly, he was like, "I found it really easy. Like, I was I was sort of made to do this. For me, this is a very easy thing to do." Did you have that sort of like, "Okay, I get this. I understand this. This is what I want to do as a career. This suits me." Well. Not really. I didn't know the, the 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 workings of television. You know, I didn't know what a runner was. I didn't know what a producer was. I didn't know what a director was. I just read them on titles of movies at the end. You know, I was like, oh, wow, these people actually exist. So I didn't know what a live count was with someone talking in your ear. That was a bit weird for the first day. Uh, and I got away with it by just telling stories, stuff that had happened to me. You know, like all the cleaning stories, all the... Tesco stories, you know, putting your finger in a fresh pack of donuts so that it ends up in the resale aisle in the canteen. You think, oh, some donuts are coming. I'll have them. You know, and you then, don't you don't realise how crucial those moments are, do you? At the time, like, no, you don't, you know, because especially when you're on the radio, stuff like because that. Because everyone's doing it, and they're yeah. so relatable. You know, like I remember wandering around. Uh, I think it was one summer during uni when I was cleaning. Like what the, what happens in summertime is all the schools get deep cleaned. So every single school in Great Britain, the council move a team in and in a week they scrub everything from top right. to bottom. They repolish the floors, they scrub all the chairs, they scrub the tables. There's a team of about, I'd say, 10 people and they do. They start off at one end and exit at the other end and everything's bright and shiny and you've got that new school smell again. So we used to do that and all the girls, all the, the women were like, hey, Vernon, you've grown since yesterday. <laughs> Anti-grown, Doreen. Yeah, definitely grown, Vernon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it was all about, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And when I was a mobile caretaker, I used to clean, a, uh, uh, no, wait, this was phone boxes. I used to clean phone boxes and there was a phone box outside this park in, in my hometown of Horwich. And it was opposite, uh, like, uh, it wasn't an old folks home, but it was secure housing for older people and people with disabilities. And this lady used to bring me a cup of coffee every Thursday and Tuesday morning when she'd see me cleaning the phone box. And it's just things like that where you're like, you know what, life is great. And that's why I didn't really think about, I was embarrassed to say, oh, you know, when you, when you get talking to girls, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a cleaner. It's like, it's not very glamorous, is it? No one's, but, but if it wasn't for that and those jobs, I, I wouldn't have been able to mm. to just talk shite yeah. like I did at the beginning of my career. <laughs> it gives you that grounding, doesn't it? It gives you that that hard work ethic, which you know mustn't be forgotten, and um, is hugely important. Now, you you went on to work on some shows that many of our listeners will be familiar with. Um, T Four was probably the one that I remember um, from back in the day. Um, who were you? Sort of, who were some of the faces you were working with at the time that we might still know now? I know that there was. Uh, I was looking at YouTube yesterday, and there's you and Steve Jones looking very fresh faced yeah. together. Is there, is there other names that we might know who you sort of grew up with? Yeah, I, when I started, Ben Shepard was still there with Margarita Taylor and oh, then Dermot oh, took yeah. over from Ben, Dermot O'Leary, with Margarita. I was working with June Sarpong. There was oh. uh, Makita Oliver, Simon Amstel were part of the team and then Steve joined. I think Steve was there for about 18 months learning the ropes and then I left. Um, and then after oh. that, it was I think it was like Nick Grimshaw... Jamil, Jamil. What a lineup. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that, that the one thing that disappoints me and it annoys me is there's nowhere like that for young talent to, to grow and learn. That was going to be my next question. Those kind of opportunities aren't really around anymore. And it's, and it, and it, and it's to, the, to the detriment of broadcasting, you know, be it radio or television, because young people need to cut their teeth. And in a world where 
uh, equality and diversity and inclusivity is, is really prominent in broadcasters. There's nowhere for people to learn. So it's really difficult. Like people are being thrown in the deep end and it's difficult taking account to the end of a show where you've got 10 seconds to wrap it up and just get out nice and clean. And I think shows like T4, Children's BBC, CBBS, ITV, CITV, all those kids' shows should be flooded with young talent and give kids the opportunity. Like one of the commissioners at ITV is my old producer at T4. Uh, and that's it's, you know it all comes around, and and I think it's really important that we nurture talent in the in in Great Britain, you know. And when I was at Radio One, they basically hired everyone that was on T4, uh, and then they started to hire YouTubers, and that didn't work because a YouTuber sits in front of a laptop and talks about whatever they're being paid to talk about and themselves, but it's not relatable like the stories of me cleaning phone boxes with the old lady across the road bringing me a cup of coffee because mm. that's life. Whereas when someone's sat in the bedroom saying, all right, gang, I've got this new toothpaste that makes your teeth really white. It's like, and? Yeah. And it doesn't translate on Radio 1 on national broadcasting. And and they're trying. And I think there'll be a solution. But I think the obvious one is pump children's television full of new talent and design shows that enable young kids to learn what telly is about and radio. Yeah, absolutely. I'd have loved that opportunity. I always wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter. It was like my dream forever. And an event, the only the closest I got was getting a, I think it was a purple Blue Peter badge like a couple of years ago when I did something in motorsport. And he's this guy, one of the presenters, he, he was like smuggling it to me backhand. He was like, shh. Don't tell <laughs> a soul. They're like really, really rare. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. I mean, there, there is talent out there, but I watch weird. This guess sound weird. I watch a lot of CBBS, but that's because I've got young kids. But it's, it's. I'll tell you, I'm telling you now, Tim, the best presenter in Britain is the guy who works with Basil Brush, Barney. Barney, Barney. He's on Blue Peter at the moment. He is absolutely oh, wait. brilliant. Wait. Maybe that's the guy I met. Hang on, I'm going to Google him. What's his name? Barney. Yeah, I don't know his surname, but Barney he is. Brush. Yeah, Barney Blue <laughs> Blue Peter. He's on. Yeah. It's because it, you're right. It's not yeah, actually yeah. just those opportunities. Not just for the people, you know, not just the on-air talent. It's all those people who work behind the scenes as well. There's no, you know, not as many opportunities oh, for them. Yeah, either, like we, you know, we got the same away process. with we got away with murder on T4 holiday mornings because I don't think there was anyone that had more than 12 months work experience in telly. Yeah. So we were just. We were making mistakes and learning by our mistakes, which is the best thing to do. And when you're on a, a network or a channel that's got literally zero viewers, no one watching, you can afford to make mistakes and and, and teach people and how, how tally works. You know, and, and I was really looking back. Uh, I was really lucky that I ended up on Children's BBC, T4, ITV in, in, a, in a short period of time. But, like, I hit blowing me on flute but I will I work really hard yeah like I, I I never had a day off I said yes to everything because I just wanted to learn and I enjoyed it yeah but it no. seems it seems like there's at, at the moment like modern TV with all the big shows it it from an outsider's perspective it seems like it's all the same sort of characters but and maybe, that's the problem maybe that's the problem because there's not that talent like you've got Holly yourself uh, Ben Shepherd uh, Grimmy Tess obviously it's it's the same sort of gang doing all the shows, and it's like there's there's not enough talent to go around. Is that fair to say at the moment? But yeah, but well, yeah. obviously with a, with a brand like let's say ITV for example, you've got your your suite, your portfolio of ITV stars. You know, Philip, Holly, Anton Deck, 
Stephen Mulhern, Ben Shepherd, the, the, the faces, yeah. you know. So, so they're recognisable to the audience. And when you see those faces, you think, oh, this is an ITV show. It's going to be a quiz. It's going to be this, that, and the other. But all that is changing, you know. The fact that um, uh, people who aren't necessarily quiz show hosts are hosting quizzes. Take Gino, for example. You know, he's a chef and he's doing Family Fortunes, which is great. And and that's because he's recognisable to the ITV brand and that he's now part of the stable of talent. And that's what that's all about. But I think I always say the more people you have buying for jobs, the higher quality the presentation is going to be because everyone knows that they're lucky to be there or mm. everyone knows that they've earned the right to be there Yeah, because everyone's different. And that's that's the key to it is everyone is different. There's no point trying to be a TV presenter or a host if you're the same as the next bloke because the next bloke might be cheaper or he might be available more than you are. Do you know what I mean? So if you can bring something to the table that's different, that's going to stand you in good stead. How did you find the transition from TV world to radio world? Oh, I had the best boss at BBC Radio 1, a guy called Ben Cooper. Uh, and I'll be forever grateful to him because on my first day, I did, I did like three or four pilots for Radio 1. And uh, it was, he basically said, congratulations, uh, welcome to Radio 1. Uh, all I want you to do is live the life of the listeners and tell the story. So basically, he's throwing a red rag to a bull. Like, go out, enjoy yourself, get involved in the gigs, you know, meet people, talk about it, and then basically tell the story on air. So the remit for Radio 1 at the time, Miles was on breakfast, I think Scott was on drive, Greg was on the early graveyard shift, it was Edith, Borman, Colin Murray, myself, Joe Wiley, Sarah Cox, wow, Fern yeah. Cotton. Um, and he just said, just go and live your lives. Because it was before social media. So no one knew what we were up to because it wasn't digitally documented. Yeah. So we'd go on the radio and say, oh, I went to Reading Festival and I saw this band and that band and it was amazing. And now it kind of doesn't resonate as much because everyone talks about it on their socials. So when you get on the radio, like, oh, yeah, I did this, that, and the other. You're like, yeah, we've seen that on your socials because we follow you as well. So I guess it's a, a fine balance. But that transition, apart from, you know, at Radio 1, they make you work the desk yourself. Uh, that was it. That, 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 a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. I've been on Radio 1 with some of the most horrific hangovers I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> After Radio One's big weekends, absolutely battered. <laughs> it seems like that's the only way forward, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what an amazing experience. And you've done, obviously, some of we touched on it, All Star Family, Fortunes, things like that as well in more recent times. Was that a bit of a, you know, the quiz show style of things? And you're still doing quiz shows, of course. Is that kind of a, a dream job for you? Or you always sort of wanted to host a, a, a quiz show when you got into TV? Yeah, I always wanted to do Family Fortunes. I did it for 14 seasons, 14, 15 seasons. And it's it's... Well, I did a show called Game Show Marathon, which was a sweet... It's like Alan, Alan Carr's something game show. He, he does it now, and Anton, oh, yeah. and Anton Deck did it before me. And what you realise about game shows is the best ones only have two, maximum four sentences explain the rules. <laughs> so Family Fortunes is, hi, everyone. We've asked... We've surveyed 100 people. Basically, what do you think they said? Yeah. You know, the price is right. Here's a toaster. How much do you think it's worth? Yeah. That's it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Bullseye. These, here's oh, three darts. Classic. Highest score wins a prize. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and when you get into the complexities of game shows, even the best ones, 
They're just simple, simple formats. Yeah. And those are the ones that work the best. And yeah. doing fortunes was always a dream for me. It's such a it, funny it, one, fortunes, because it, it, you're guaranteed stupid answers. You guarantee people <laughs> to say really ridiculous things. And, and, and it's your reaction to them as well that makes it. And it's just such a classic. <clears throat> well, the, the thing with it was is, like, America, they tweak their questions to be more innuendo-type yeah. answers. You know, name something you blow. Uh, something you you put in your mouth but you don't swallow you know all that kind of stuff uh, and we couldn't do that because we were on between 6 and 7.30 but the outtakes are ridiculous yeah, absolutely ridiculous uh, but and when you got those rude answers you're thinking that is absolutely brilliant but it's never going to go out on air so you'd have to do a pickup. you know so I, I was like we should do a raw version of Family Fortunes Filth just you know, with, with the Love Island generation and see what it would end up being like because it would be absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I think that needs to be released as a, a late night show at some point. Yeah, Steve Harvey, who does it in America, gets away with absolute <laughs> murder. <laughs> I mean, it's just oh, talk, game shows and when you talk about it, it just reminds me, I don't know if you've seen that episode of Friends or whatever where Joey has the, the audition to be a game show host and it's the most complicated show ever <laughs> and it's just hilarious how actually simple you've got to make it in two sentences and that's away you go and there's your key to a successful uh, quiz show um let's move it forward though a little bit more because i mean there's a lot to pack in but away from entertainment is obviously of course sports and you're quite versatile with your sports coverage as well was that always there when you were sort of growing up were you always big into your sports obviously you know american football golf and now motorsport obviously you cover all of that did you ever see that coming or did it just kind of happen I've always been a big fan of sports, uh, mainly American football. Everyone, when you did show and tell at my school, everyone knew that I would be, from 1985 to 1990, everyone knew it would be American football. It would be American really? football. What, I was what, obsessed by what, it. What was your team at that point? Chicago Bears. Because I got into it in 1985 and they were the Super Bowl champions. They yeah. won the Super Bowl in 85. Mine was the Dolphins. And I'm, I'm 40, so a couple of, a few years younger than you, but not massively. And I remember when I was growing up, um, it, American football was massive. It was in the UK. It was on, I can't remember what channel, maybe Channel 4. Channel 4. Was it Channel it 4, yeah. And everyone watched it. And we all had the little... Uh, books with the stickers that you yeah put the Panini in there. album yeah everyone had those you know it's, and it's it's drifted away but um, at the time and and during your uh, formative years it was obviously a very big deal in the UK yeah I loved it I, I mean I remember going to the American Bowls which were exhibition games at Wembley uh, from '86 I think it was onwards with my dad and he'd take us down he'd drive us down drive us back uh, and then I played for a local team from 88 to 1990 or 87 to 89, I think it was, in Manchester, the Manchester All-Stars. And I was just obsessed by it because it was the, it was the glitz and the glamour of the game. You know, it was the Americana. It was a, it was a faraway world that was unreachable. Uh, but yet we were getting, if you think about it, it's bonkers. We were getting 30-minute highlights from the previous week's games on the day that the new games were being played. Yeah. It's, it, it's insane. And now, obviously, with Sky and, and the BBC's coverage, we get the games instantly, live. We, we actually get more live games in the UK than they do in America. Wow, really? Because of the way that the regions work, yeah. Oh. So if, let's say, for example, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars aren't selling tickets for the games, they'll they, they, the NFL will ban the Jaguars game going out into the local area. Huh. They say, right, if you want to see it, you've got to go watch it. Yeah. Oh. 
you know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, and they, they get like, I think they get three, maybe four games. We get lo- we get loads of games. We get There are more live American football games available to us than they are their Americans. It's bonkers. Imagine if they did that here, though, in football. That'd be, they'd be oh, uproar, surely. Chaos. Yeah, well, that, that's why we... That's why they don't show three o'clock games live on Sky. Because uh, no one would go. To go. Yeah. Money you know, makes the world go around. Money, money talks. So I was into that. And then uh, it was only in my, uh, I was going to say adult years, but I still don't think I'm an adult. <laughs> uh, in my adult years that I got into golf and like football's always been there and being growing up being a Bolton Wanderers fan was difficult because they were always rubbish. <laughs> but the Premier League years in Bolton were magnificent. Yeah. Absolutely outrageous. Uh, Bolton was alive. It was vibrant. You know, people would travel to Bolton because the nightclubs were great. The pubs were great. Nightlife was absolutely outstanding. And it's all because the football team did well. I, I, I genuinely believe that. You know, the football team did well. The stars of, of the Bolton Wanderers football club were out in Ritzy or you know Fifth Avenue you could see them wandering around town in the Arndale Centre and in, in Whitaker's the local department store you know and, and, and it, it, it was really good vibes it really was uh, and then yeah getting involved telewise I'll tell you this like doing sports broadcast uh, is probably the most difficult thing I've ever done because when you're doing an entertainment show, a pause and a wink is the equivalent of a thousand words. Yeah. Where you can just go, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm thinking. Whereas sport, it's not about the host. It's about the stars of the game. Yeah. Uh, so Formula E, for example, was a, for me was, I found it really difficult getting my head around the stars of the series or trying to pick a star of the series and develop them into like the ultimate top trump card. Mm-hmm. Let's say at the time it was when I joined, uh, it, it was Lucas Degrassi and John Eric Byrne and Sebastian Buemi and Sam Bird. They were the big four, I guess. Uh, so it was getting my head around that. And then you realize, and I know this sounds like this isn't an ego thing, but in entertainment, it's all about you, the host. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to drive the format. You've got to come up with some quick-witted line. You've got to take the mickey out of people. You've got to get the show to the ads, and then you've got to get the show off the air. But in sport, you don't even come into the equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that must be weird to get your head around. It, no, it was brilliant. Did, it did, was brilliant. You didn't because... find yourself being like, like, hello, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 well, it's I tried that, and people were like, Hern, wind your neck in. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I remember my first ever... Uh, race was in Hong Kong and then I think the next one was in Marrakesh this was season four and I walked into the gallery with two shirts on hangers and I said guys which shirt do you think I, I should you wear and they all turned around to me and went we don't oh, care <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's the difference yeah. you know where I did a game of talents for ITV after I came out of the castle for I'm a celebrity and the budget the budget for the clothes was probably uh the fee for three Formula E races. Yeah. It's outrageous. Uh, yeah. I'm wearing Dolce & Gabbana shoes, Dolce & Gabbana suits, shirts, ties. 
I'm like, you turn up wearing that on the grid, and yeah. Sebastian Buemi's going to look you up and down and not be impressed. I'll tell you what, if you turn up on the grid wearing Dodge Banner, the Hugo Boss sponsors would absolutely yes. kick off. And that, yeah. And that, that's what makes me laugh. It's like, oh, you want, we want you to get wear Hugo Boss? Well, pay me Hugo Boss money. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Show me the threads. <laughs> In your next contract negotiations, that's that's what it comes up with. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And thanks to F1 Experiences, you can return to the track this year and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com. Um, let's, uh, well, we touched on it there because we'll come on to more motorsport bits in a minute. Let's just sort of finish off the uh, the entertainment side first, I think, actually. And, and you touched on it there. I'm a celeb. We, we can't not talk about that because I'm sure you've talked about it a million times over but it was obviously in Wales this time round when you did it uh, because of all the COVID protocols and stuff like that was that a bit of a disappointment when you when you were let uh, when you were known about that because like everyone wants to go to Australia surely in the jungle yeah I got the phone call when we were in Berlin uh, last year when we did uh, six in nine six races in nine days oh god yeah and they went oh uh, just to let you know we're not going to Australia and my God's honest truth, my reaction was, oh, well, do you know what? It was really nice to meet you. It's been a, a, a real fun experience being a part of the show, but I'll postpone and do it next year because I really want to go to Australia. And mm. I know it sounds stupid, but I just wanted to go and play golf with Anton Deck on the golf course behind the Versace <laughs> Hotel, which is what they do every day. Yeah. <laughs> so in my head, I was like planning, all right, get out early, play golf in the sunshine for <laughs> another two weeks. Happy days. <laughs> Happy days. Because the fee is the same whatever position you, you you come in. So it's a flat rate fee. If you're first out, you get the same as last out. Right. So I was like, okay, well, get out first, take the golf clubs, <laughs> posh, you know, win-win. <laughs> awesome. Mum and dad can have a holiday to, to Australia. Yeah. Uh, Tess, unfortunately, will be on Strictly, but maybe we could get the kids out of school for a week. And then they said, oh, it's going to be in Wales. I went, oh, never mind. And I put the phone down. Uh, and then they phoned me back. I said, listen, I said, I'm knee-deep in facts and stats and uh, racing at the moment at Tempelhof Airport in Berlin. I said, let's talk after the weekend. And they convinced me to do it. And hand on heart, probably the best, apart from saying yes to Top of the Pops and Family Fortunes, it's probably the best thing I've ever done in my career. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, and you met, I suppose you make some friends for life doing something like that. Yeah, I knew most of them anyway. But I think what it does is it was like a school trip or like a Hindu or a stag do where you're you're thrown together. Because on a stag do or a Hindu, there's always someone there who's a friend of a friend mm. who knows the hen or the stag but doesn't know anyone else. Yeah. So there's still all that kind of, oh, what do you do? There's that introduction to each other that you've got to do in such a short period of time because you know that in five hours you're going to be absolutely shit-faced rolling around in puke. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, you, you've got a short period of time where you're sober to kind of set your stall out and 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 and, and you're hoping that people's perceptions of you are positive on a stag do or a hen do because you've met yeah. them for the first yeah. time and in a minute you're going to be asking them to hold your head up while you're vomiting <laughs> down the armity shanks. So 
it's really difficult. And that's what I'm a Celebrity was like. It's like there was a quick... And, and Shane Ritchie was brilliant. Shane Ritchie said to us all, he said, listen, you cannot be anything but yourself in this castle. If you start to pretend that you're someone that you're not, you're, you're going to get found out yeah. and you'll get woofed out straight away. Uh, and it was, it was, it was right. Yeah, it was really right, and that's what the beauty of it was: is everyone was themselves. Yeah, it's a fantastic show, and you, and you made it to the final three, so not enough golf yeah. for you, which is a shame. I've seen you play golf live, by the way, at Wentworth. He's very handy golfer, is Vernon Kay. Very oh, I do lose my rag though. That's that's my only kind of. <laughs> I've launched a few clubs at the old Wentworth. Oh, it's an infuriating game, that's that's for sure. Um, actually, talking of Berlin, it's weird, because the, as we, the day of recording today is a week and a half after the end of the Formula E season, with um, obviously Nick DeVries taking the championship and Mercedes EQ. And, uh, and I've literally only just got back from Berlin, because I was there for the Formula E and never made it to the racetrack, because I got COVID. And, no! And, and uh, so I went into quarantine on Saturday, and uh, and remained there for the next eight days. Um, so I'm I'm fresh out of Berlin. I was oh. the, I was the last Formula E to uh, to leave the country. <clears throat> so did, did you did you obviously you had it before you went? When did you well, fly out? Friday. I, I flew out on Saturday morning. Um, Friday Friday I had a negative test. Flew out Saturday morning. Um, had a Formula E test on Saturday. Positive. Into quarantine. Then load of lateral flows during the week, which were all negative, weirdly. And then took another test on. The following Friday, a government test, which was negative, a PCR. So then I could I could arrange to come home. So it was a very strange turn of events. All I can think of is that I had it, and it was the last of it. You know, I was literally it was clearing up as I got but, there. But like you hadn't had any orange juice or anything like that, had you prior to your test? Because that can give a false negative. Really, I didn't know no, that. False positive. Sorry, yeah. No, and, no, and apparently my my levels were quite high at that point because they didn't want to retest. It was it was a really strange thing, um, and I I don't know. I'm it, it's peculiar. The whole thing was odd. Um, and and you um, weren't ill. You weren't actually had symptoms. No, I felt fine during the week. I did have a wee bit of a cold um, before I went, but like a, quite a while before I went. Um, but nothing to write home about. And I felt absolutely fine all week, apart from the lack of oxygen, because I was in the hotel. I'd, I was staying at the Ritz-Carlton, and the windows there only open a tiny little bit. So I had no oxygen. So and was it was getting, boiling. It's boiling. So I was getting sort of dizzy, and I thought, have I got something here? But then when I went out to do my PCR, I got some fresh air. I was fine. Like, I just needed air. Uh, but it was brutal, horrible. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't recommend quarantine to anyone, especially in a hotel room no. in, a, in a foreign country. Um, but so yeah, I missed the race. I was gutted. It was going to be, um, you know, a good old bit of uh, bit of fun in uh, Berlin, and missed the whole bloody thing. Oh. Um, anyway, on the subject of Formula E, um, we are going to give you a, a little test here, Vernon K. And uh, yes, you've this won. Is, in... This is where Jack Nichols, if he's listening, will be absolutely doubled over, pissing himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he we've got. We and he, he's going to come on the show as well. Yeah. I've already WhatsApped yeah. him. So um, this will test a little bit of your Formula E knowledge. So I'll hand over okay. to my illustrious bearded colleague to introduce you to the Motormouth quiz. Vernon Kay, welcome to Motormouths, the hardest quiz in motorsport because sometimes I get the answers wrong. I don't really know <laughs> what they are. Um, now, we have a big, long leaderboard. There are four questions plus a bonus question. Uh, each question is worth three points and all of them are bits of team radio from this oh, nice. season. And you're going to listen to them. And then basically, you're going to tell me who's talking, what they might be talking about, and where. So, i.e. what track. 
Brilliant. Uh, now, I made it slightly easy because it's all from this season, so you don't have to think too far back. There's a big, long leaderboard up for grabs. There's 14 points. If you get the full 14, you go straight to the top and you will pip Nelson Piquet Jr., Oof. who is currently at the top of the standings. Now, you do have a couple of... Um, uh, contemporaries also on the leaderboard. We had Nikki Shields on way back when. Um, now, to be fair to her, we had a different scoring system back then. So she's currently 37th place um, with five and a half points, just ahead of Karun Chandok on three and a half points. Cool. Um, so if you get one question right, you're, you've already beaten them. Are you ready for your ready. first question? I'm ready. Okay. Have a listen to this. Here it comes. The light's going out like that. I said, I really hope that doesn't happen in the race. Tricky. Right. Who's talking? What are they talking about? And where are they? That's some bird. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, can I have it again? You can. Here we go. Yep. The light's going out like that. I said, I really hope that doesn't happen in the race. Ah, it's got to be one of the first two races in Saudi Arabia. When Correct. They started messing about with the lights. Very good. Yes, absolutely. They because kept... they had this kind of funnel of lights that kept going. Mind you, it could, it could have been London, but uh, you shot your load early there, and you give me the answer. <laughs> so thank you. It happens. Uh, <laughs> it happens but they, that was a that was a great start to the season yeah. uh, in Saudi with the the night races, and I think it, it, it you know we'll get into it but Formula E is always evolving it's always trying new stuff and I think it's taken the uh, philosophy of Richard Branson where it's like screw it let's do it let's try it if it works we'll do it again if it doesn't we won't do it again. Yeah. They, they can try this kind of thing experimentally, whereas Formula One would, would have to run through a million different protocols before they even try to test something new. Yeah, and the thing that frustrates me about people who, the detractors of Formula E, oh, it's not this, it's not that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, listen, it's seven years old. Mm. It's seven years old. That's it. Yeah. It's yeah. seven years. It's only just learning how to walk. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's, still, you know, it's still got uh, more manufacturers, even with the... Um, impending departure of Mercedes still has uh, more manufacturers than Formula One. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think Formula E will get there. Yeah. It will get there, 100%, because technology tells us that it has to get there. Mm-hmm. Humanity has no choice but to flip to EVs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the way forward, isn't it? And that's, yeah. the, that's the leading charge of it at the moment. And it provides some great entertainment at the same time. It also, um, it also just sorry, Harry, the, the other good thing about the whole, you know, we mentioned Saudi and the race in Diria there, it also puts places like that on the map, which like Saudi gets an incredibly hard time. And the people, as you probably discovered, Vernon, when you were out there, the people there are lovely, like brilliant, brilliant. hospitality, nice people. Yeah. And they're as frustrated as, as anyone else to see their country getting such a bad rep in the Western press. Um, but it's it well, shows you a know, lot. It's debatable humanitarian issues in the old Saudi Arabia, but uh, yeah, there's there's one uh, or two. But it, what I think what, one thing that always takes me aback is everyone in the service industry, because you've got to remember that we get there, and in recent times we've quarantined. Uh, sorry, we've mm-hmm. bubbled. So we get there, we land in the hotel. We're yeah. not allowed to, allowed to leave the hotel. We go hotel track track hotel. Everyone in the uh, uh, service industry speaks perfect English. Yeah. Perfect English. I don't know a word of Arabic, and it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's embarrassing. No, they're, and they're it, and it's people. a great. It's it's if 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 all the controversial stuff 
can start to take a backseat with Saudi Arabia, I think it's going to be a, a real go-to destination. 100%. And they're ho- hosting some amazing stuff. I mean, I went to the uh, the boxing out there with AJ and Ruiz. and uh, That was on the weekend after the Formula E. Yeah, it was. In that whole area, that sort of Daria season stuff. Yeah. And it, it was spectacular. And um, and they, they just love showing off their country. But yeah, you know, admittedly, there are problems there. But... Yeah, it's it, the people, the general public are lovely, lovely people. Mm. Um, right, number two, Harry. Uh, well, yes, you've had a good start, Vernon. Three out of three so far. Can you continue that form? Have a listen to this. Here we go. I'm not going to make it. Oh, my God. Oh, my. It's over. I'm done. Same for most of the cast, Hmm. Do you want that again? Mm. That's Antonio Felix Acosta. Yes, it is. Correct. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's over. It's all over. Is that, is that Berlin where he got driven into the wall? No. no. You're going to kick where yourself. Luke, not where Lucas drove him into the wall? No, it was It was one of, I would give you a clue. It's one of the most controversial Formula E races we've had in... Oh, Valencia. Yeah. <laughs> Valencia, where, yeah, where, where Formula E could have uh, been packed up, put in a box and left for a rainy day. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to give you two out of three on that one. That's okay. I gave you the clue. Um, Right. Okay. Let's move on. Next one, please. Another clip for you. Have a listen to this. Pretty, uh, I think we're doing, we shouldn't be having a race now, should we? We should be getting involved. (laughs) It's an interesting scene. It's been a while since we've been in a club, eh? That's quite a tough one. It's a tough one, but you have already kind of touched on on it already in in your guesswork. Oh, really? Has he? Hmm. Um, is it Jake Dennis? Oh no. Quality driver, nonetheless. Go on, play again. Here we go. Pretty. Uh, I think we're doing. We shouldn't be having a race now, should we? we should be getting involved. <laughs> it's an interesting scene. It's been a while since we've been in a club, eh? There's an accent there. There's definitely it's an accent. It's been a while since we've been in a club. Oh, is it Alex Lynn? Uh-uh. Oh, no. no. Just oh, list, list, list is it Nick, Nick Cassidy? No, keep going. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I... Right, right part of the world. <gasps> really? Well, he does race under a, a British flag, so this guy is British. So Is he British? Uh, oh, is it... Uh... Oh no! But he's he's got he's got. got, got, got oh, is it Tom Bonquist? Yeah, there yeah, we go. yeah. Yes. There we go. So, but where where is he? What's he talking about? Do you think? Oh. What does he want to get involved with before a race? What's happening? There's a bit of music in the background. I think I heard. Oh, is it London? Yeah. Is it all that concert palaver that there went on before go. the race? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who who was the singer performing? Oh, good one. It, it wasn't. Uh, oh, it was one word, weren't it? Like. Yeah. Uh, Raya, something like that. Ray, yeah. Ray. Well, you wouldn't be on Radio 1 with that kind of uh, there you go. now, Vernon. There you go. Hey. <laughs> right, I'm going, give you, I'm going to give you another two out of three on that one, I'm afraid. Oh, generous. Uh, okay, um, and I think we've got one more Team Radio yeah. clip and one then more. a bonus question. Okay, here we go. The last clip for you. Unbelievable! That's it, you got it, mate. You got it. Right, who's that? Oh, mate, I'm sorry to say, but I'm really disappointed with the driving standard. Fucking hell. Oh, he swore. It's not uncommon in Formula E. No. <laughs> so, uh, 
a lot of celebration going on there. The obvious one is Nick De Vries from the Correct. last race of the season. Yes. Uh, and do you want to know what he's talking about? Yep, pretty much. Is yeah. he talking about the fact that everyone tried to batter him off the track? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think Spot like, on. Nick Nick could have parked it up and still won. Yeah, that's the, the thing, yeah. Everyone else so it's like, Nick, it why are you getting involved? Yeah. It's like, there's always one person when you see a rook in town. There's always one person who comes from nowhere yeah. and wants to get involved. It's like, Nick, <laughs> yeah. just park at the back. Yeah. Just pull over, let everyone overtake you and yeah. bring up the crowd. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. Because he's, uh, he would, yeah, anyway. He's a funny he, chap. We, we had him on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just before that race, and he, he got very competitive. He's so competitive. Quiz. He's very funny yeah. though. I thought he was. He really made me chuckle. Him and Stoffel are a good little team. Oh, yeah. love Van Dorm. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, uh, you're already beating them in the quiz, I must say. But it all rides on this final point for you, Vernon. It's Andre. one point up for grabs. It's a bonus question. How old is Dario Franchitti? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I think he's younger than me. I think he's forty. Five, forty-four, forty-five. Oh, you've knocked, you've knocked a few years off him there. He's he older than me. Oh, he's forty-nine. He's oh, he's, he's almost fifty. <laughs> he's, he's, I've got forty-eight written down here. He's forty-eight. <laughs> oh well, I'm sure we've had conversations about him planning his fiftieth. Uh, <laughs> Harry could be wrong. There's a good chance. I could be wrong, but Wikipedia said it's forty-eight. So we'll we'll go with that right, until we get yeah, we'll there. Well, right, let me do the maths. <laughs> Lives in Noel Gallagher's old house. Does he? Good fact. Does he? Yeah, yeah. Turn, okay. turn Noel's football pitch into a motocross. Oh, that's amazing. No way. <laughs> I want to yeah. live there. Well, I'll, I'll give you an extra point for that, <laughs> that info because that gives you 11 points, I'm uh, afraid. So you don't right. go to the top of the standings. But you do go equal, actually, with Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick De Vries and uh, Edward, Eduardo Mortara, Crofty, Oliver Rowland. So you're right in there. With that's the good company. company. Good company. That's, Right mid-pack there, so uh, not too shabby, Vernon K. It sounds bad when I say what position you're in because we've had about over like 60 people do this quiz, so it does sound bad when you say you're about 15th place. But when when that's out of nearly like 60 plus, it looks much better. So, uh, Vernon K, thank you very much for playing the Motormouth quiz. A definite highlight for you there. Now, we're almost... Coming to ITV soon. (laughs) (laughs) Good pitch, like it, Harry. Um, Right, we are nearly at time, so we're going to fly through our final three questions, which are brought to you by F1 Experiences. We ask the same three questions to everyone we have on the show, and it throws up all sorts of different answers. Um, Harry, I'll kick things off. Uh, Vernon, what has got you excited at this very moment? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to stay on brand. And I think what's got me excited is uh, the anticipation for the Formula E Gen 3 car. Yes. Oh, really yes. looking forward to it. I think we're driven by technology. Technology is evolving. Uh, I think there's going to be some uh, race format changes for the better. Qualifying has definitely got to change because we need our superstars, our, our fast teams, our fast cars. We need them to percolate up to the top of the table so that yes. we can build heroes of our drivers. Yeah. And I think at the moment, the downfall in Formula E is that qualifying isn't really a true reflection of the quality of driver that we've got. So that will change. Um, uh, Looking forward to the new battery that will be coming in. Uh, Hopefully they'll allow us to to play with the power that's encased in those sources of energy. Mm. Um, And I think think Formula E is going to get quicker. It's going to get faster. I think we'll start seeing it. I think in the next... 
five years, the cars will be so powerful that they'll bin off having just one tyre. Mm. I think that's, oh. that's got to be the next step forward, hasn't it? Where the racing cars can can choose. Even okay. though we're on, like, Templehof, that would tear up a slick. We know that. Do you know what I mean? That, that That's a hideous, hideous surface. Yeah. But I think we'll... I think eventually there'll be tyre choices for the teams, which would be good, which is a good thing. Yep. And I hope that we stick to the inner city formats because it's exciting. It brings uh, awareness to what Formula E is about, the environmental issues that we've got uh, globally. So, yeah, I think the future's bright. I think people who are the naysayers, I think you've just got to be patient. Yep. Yes, it doesn't sound the same. Yes, they're not as fast. But the racing is miles better, in my opinion, than Formula 1. Miles better. Because we overtake. 27, is it 24 Monaco. or 27 overtakes in Monaco? Monaco was the best race Monaco's ever seen. Yeah. yeah. And all right, we were 25 seconds slower. Is it 25 seconds slower a lap? But we had it in a different chicane. Yeah. Uh, and it was still exciting. The action is non-stop in Formula 3. Yeah. I think I, I couldn't agree more with you, actually. And people forget how far Formula E has come in such a short distance because it wasn't too long ago that, you know, drivers were having to change cars mid-race, you know, jump yeah, in and yeah, out. Yeah. So people forget that. And yeah. that, just that advancement alone to now yeah. being able to have the whole car do a whole race is a huge change in, in efficiency. Yeah, you guys know more than anyone that Formula E is all about technology. It's yeah. all about the evolution of electric vehicles and data uh, manipulation, how you, how you can make the battery in the car more efficient. Uh, we've seen that technology filtered down in the Jaguar I-Pace, for example. Mm. They've made that car 19% more efficient with the with the development that they've done with their own Formula E car. So that pays off to the customer, the man on the street. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that it, it will be a force to be reckoned with. I really do believe that. Yeah, well, then you're the man for the job, absolutely. <laughs> so, good thing you do. Uh, Only if but, they pay me that Hugo Boss we, money, my friend. We <laughs> we'll, clip, we'll clip that up and send it straight to you. Um, well, second question then. What are you scared of? Uh, what am I scared of? Probably not bugs after I'm a celeb. No, I'm not bothered about any of that. Uh, mm. I don't like losing. I'm not okay. scared of it, but I don't like losing. I'm, I'm quite competitive. Because I think that if you're taking part in something, what's the point of doing it badly? Yep. Yep. Definitely. You know what I mean? So, yeah, a lot of racing drivers say they're scared of failure. That's yeah. uh, that's their common one that they always come up with, the athlete side of things. Yeah, and I guess they're programmed to win. You know, mm. they're sports psychologists. Yeah. But I, I, I'm if you're going to participate in something, don't be half-assed. You know, like... Give it your best shot, and that's what that's what worries me. I don't like I don't like doing something half-assed. Yeah, no. some might say that Splash was half-assed, but well, you know. yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I liked seeing people. Eleven and a half million people did, Tim. Yeah, come on, brother. About Splash, God. Uh, I was I was right there. I was I was fully engaged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you do a car show as well, Vernon. Uh, drive. drive. Drive, yeah. Drive. With Tiff. Yeah, with, yeah, not, with, not with Tiff Nadell, no. It was with... No. Uh, Who was uh, it with? Jason Plato. Yes. Yeah, how was that? We didn't Amazing. talk about that. That's, that's not happening anymore, is it? No. No, the one thing that I, was gutted was the last day where they got to race a single-seater, absolutely honked it down. Uh, oh. It was so disappointing. Like, they were, they were all over the place within two seconds. As soon yeah. as they put the foot down, it was... 
It was <laughs> <Yeah>. awful. <Yeah. laughs> oh, some good times. Uh, right, the last of our final three. Um, what is your favourite racing destination on the Formula E calendar? Oh, great question. Uh, City-wise, you've got to look at the big ones. New York, Santiago, Paris, I loved. I thought Paris at the uh, Armoury, I think it's called, oh. is probably the one track that is pure Formula E. You know, it was inner city. It was all the landmarks were there, tight circuit, really bumpy. It was everything that we wanted it to be. Uh, so Paris is a favourite. Obviously, what we did last year in Monaco was absolutely outstanding. Yep. I do love Berlin as a city, but I think they need to change the location of, of, of the race, maybe get it up and down uh, somewhere near Checkpoint Charlie, you know, in actually mm-hmm. in the city centre because Tempelhof doesn't really cut it for me, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, we've got some new ones. Everyone's saying that Vancouver is going to be out of this world. To be honest with you, all of them, because I like travelling. Yeah, yeah, all of them. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you were to choose one, I think the way that we went from Valencia, which was a disaster, to Monaco, which was the best Formula E race in its brief history, I'd say Monaco. Good stuff. Not, yeah. not because it's in Monaco, but because it allows Formula E to shine. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was spectacular. Um, yeah, it was. Well, um, listen, we, th- there's tons we didn't talk about, um, but we are limited on time. Uh, we'll do another one we'll soon. Do, we'll do another we'll do, one. We'll do another one. That, that, why don't we get Jack, Nicky, and myself and Dario on? Yes, that's well, a great idea. Actually, um, Dario is on the list, um, and Nikki will is a friend of the show. We can definitely get her back on. So, yes, let, let's do a... Let's do a lo- well, we're due a live one, to be honest, a roundtable live show. Um, <laughs> Perfect. And, um, so we, we will arrange it. But listen, for now... Vernon Kay, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I grew up watching you on television. Very surreal to be talking to you and your lovely locks. <laughs> Look at that hair. Look, just, it, I like Barry Gibb. It, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Barry Gibb. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Well done on all your Formula E exploits. It's, it's fantastic to see you in the sport. Long may it continue. Vernon Kay, many thanks for joining us on the Motormouth Podcast. Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com And if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official, and Facebook, just search MOTORMOUTH. You can also download the MOTORMOUTH app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.